Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 33, and we're just going to travel through these verses. Let me set it up by saying this. Uh, a few years ago, the San Francisco Giants had a tremendous losing streak, and the coach of the San Francisco Giants got his team together, and he says, there's two buses that are leaving for the ballpark today. There's a 2 o'clock bus and a 5 o'clock bus. He said, I expect all of you to be on the 2 o'clock bus because we're going early. We've got some work to do. And none of you should be on the empty bus that leaves at 5. His point was, we're in a losing streak. And it's going to take some effort on all of our parts to be able to succeed, to be able to turn this thing around. And so when you think of marriage, here's what I want to encourage you today. Get on the 2 o'clock bus. Wives get on the 2 o'clock bus, men get on the 2 o'clock bus, and let's together, in Christ alone, see what our responsibility is and our authority is and our leadership is in the midst of the marriage world. So Paul says that in Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to notice what he says here. Verse 25, he's coming out of husbands, um, wives submit, being filled with the Holy Spirit, then he comes into husbands love your wives. Now let's stop there. Husbands love your wives. You would think out of coming out of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, where he talked about the husband being the head, you would think he comes out and says, husbands manage, husbands dictate, husbands control, husbands wear the pants in your family. That's what we've been told. Let me tell you who wears the pants in the family. God does. That's what he's saying. So husbands, if you're getting confused about the context, you always want to back up to see what the verses were prior to. And he says you're the head. The head doesn't mean you're a dictator. It doesn't mean you're a manager. It doesn't mean you're a tyrant. It means husbands you love. And the only way you can love is loving in Jesus Christ. And the only way you can love is with a sacrificial love. That's what Paul is saying here. Love your wives, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Let me tell you a story about a man, Jim Dobson. You would recognize that name when he was growing up. His father was an evangelist, and he was a tremendous evangelist. And uh, Jim was a rebellious teenager, and he was having all kinds of problems. And his wife was really struggling. The mother was really struggling with Jim and didn't know how to handle him and he had gone into counseling and they tried to get him help and one day she called her husband who was an evangelist who had an itinerary five years booked in advance and she said I need you to come home now this gentleman at this point has an opportunity to love sacrificially or look to himself and continue to do the work that he thinks is more important than his family. And so what happened to him is immediately, this, this is sacrificial love, this is an example. Immediately, he canceled five years of his itinerant in evangelism. He didn't cancel three and say, I'm going to work for the next two, and then I'll get on with the rest of it. He canceled all five. He said, honey, I will be home. Now, the point of the story is, that is sacrificial love. That is loving like Christ is to be is loving because 
The husband had a agenda. He had an agenda. He had a calling. But the calling was first to his family. And his family needed him. So it wasn't in the best interest of his career to cancel five years of ministry. But it wasn't the best interest of his wife, who Paul says to love sacrificially. And it wasn't the best interest of his son. And he found a little church and they moved to a small little town. And he continued to flesh out his calling. But he responded to husband's love by living sacrificially before his wife. Does that sound like Jesus to you? It absolutely does. Jesus sacrificially lived before us. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So how did Jesus love the church? He loved the church with a sacrificial love. He, he died for the church. He, he died for you. He died for me. He sacrificially gave his life he lived in heaven with all authority, in all power, where there was no sin, there was no interruption in the Godhead. And he chose to leave heaven and come down and be rejected and suffer and die because he was willing to live sacrificially before us and he died for the sins of the whole world. And husbands, we are to die to our ways and to our plans and to our thoughts and to love our wives with a sacrificial love. I'm telling you, I've never seen a woman who had any problem submitting to a man who lived sacrificially before her. See, that's the beauty of drawing love one from another in a relationship with Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands. That's verse 22. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. You see, when you struggle with that and you understand what love is, love is about giving. Notice what the text says. He gave himself for her. Jesus gave himself for us. You remember little, big M and little M. The heavenly M is the marriage between Christ and his church that we talked about. And the little M is the marriage between a husband and a wife in this earthly realm. And so we represent Christ to the world. So what happens is we give up everything. And he gave himself for her. Jesus gave himself for her. The idea of the tense there of the verb is to hand over. Nobody twisted Jesus' holy arm so that he would go to the cross. He willingly and sacrificially gave himself up for us. He loved us that much. Men, we are called to live in a sacrificial way just like Jesus, and we hand ourselves over to our wives and we say, we want you to succeed because you are valuable and you are honorable and I will do anything I can to live before you in a sacrificial way. Amen. Let me ask you something. You say, I'll sacrifice for my wife. Will you really? Will you give up a golf game? Will you give up a career? Would you rather your golf game suffer or your marriage suffer? I know I'm meddling. <laughs> Would you be willing to take two weeks vacation to stay home with the children so that she can go enjoy a vacation with her friends because she's been sacrificing? Would you be willing to get up two hours earlier and get the children out of bed and sacrifice for her like Jesus sacrificed for you? You see, the Bible says it's sacrificial living, so it's men sacrificing and loving their wives. It's sacrificing our will for His will. And His will is to want my will to be in line with His will so that I love my wife with a sacrificial love. 
And I'm telling you, she knows when it's a fleshly love. My wife knows when it's a fleshly love that I'm loving her with. But when I begin to love her with a sacrificial love, it is built into her by God's mechanism of grace for her to respond to me. She responds to me. She wants to respond to me. When I sacrifice and I lead and I lift and I love in the family, there's a response there. And that's the way that God has set it up. So God says to love, husbands, to love in a sacrificial way. Let me give you, you could do it physically. If you're in a plane and the plane is going down and there's only one parachute, give your wife the parachute. Hang on with the other hand, but give your wife the parachute. But more practically, you can think about in your life how you can sacrificially love before her, how you can sacrificially give to your wife. Now, how many rights does a man have when he sacrifices and gives himself for his wife? Absolutely none. We die to ourselves. Just like Jesus died for us. We die to ourselves. We die to our ways so that we can sacrificially love our wives with the love of Christ. It's not about me. It's not even about her. It's about Him. And when I'm focused on Him, He begins to give Himself up through me. And then as He gives Himself up through me, He begins to love my wife with a sacrificial love. And she responds to Jesus in me, not me, Jesus in me. A wife who is loved with a sacrificial love, knows that she's valued, knows that she's important, knows that she's the most important thing in a man's life. And so Paul talks about this, and it's in the present tense here. I want you to see it here. Look at the text again. I'm not making this up. Husband's love, that's agape love, that's a present tense. Continually love your wife every moment of every second of every day. Die to yourself, die to your ways, and love her with a sacrificial love. Let her be the person that is the presence and the power of Jesus is manifested in your life so that she can experience what true love is all about. And that's what Paul's talking about here. So one thing we do is we sacrifice our will for his will, which is loving, and then we sacrifice our feelings for forgiveness, just like Jesus did on the cross when he sacrificed his life for us He didn't feel like going to the cross. If you look at the passage in Gethsemane, Jesus asked the Father for a plan B. He said, let this cup pass from me. Some of you in marriage today are saying, let this cup pass from me. Let me tell you something. The cup doesn't pass from you. You are called to live sacrificially before your wife. Because Jesus, although he bargained with God and says, if there's any other way than for me having to go to the cross to pay for the sins of the world. If there's a plan B, let me know. Here's what he said. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. He sacrificed his will for the Father's will. We sacrifice our will and our dreams and our aspirations for her aspirations and her dreams because the most important thing in my life is to love God and love my family and allow my wife to succeed in whatever way that God has allowed her to succeed. And remember, Paul's writing in a culture where men dominate and they're tyrants and they're dictators, but men were coming to Christ Wives were coming to Christ, children were coming to Christ, and slaves were coming to Christ. And when you come to Christ, you begin to be free and be all that God has made you to be. So men, sacrificially loving, are never more freer than when they're loving their wives with a love that comes from God the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul wrote this. 
Men, we need to back away and say, God, no, we need to say this. Ask your wife this question as you leave today. Honey, how am I sacrificially living my life before you? And don't fill in the answer. Let her answer that. Wives, be very gentle, be very kind, be very gracious. But that's what Paul is saying here. So we sacrifice our will for his will, our feelings for forgiveness. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He didn't feel like dying on the cross. There was going to be pain involved. But he chose by his own free will to be handed over so that he could be sacrificed for the sins of the world. He died that we might become holy and blameless in him. And so when we love our wives, we give ourselves over to God. And we hand ourselves over to our wives and say, honey, I want you to be all that God wants you to be. And I'm willing to sacrifice and do whatever it takes to make it happen in, in the power of Christ. Let me give you an illustration, a beautiful illustration of this. You'll maybe remember this man. Robertson McClurkin wrote a book called Unforgettable Love. And he was a uh, president of Columbia Bible College. He had a career. He had many years left in his career. And all of a sudden, his wife came home, and there were some struggles cognitively in the mind, and there was uh, a report from the doctor that she had beginning stages of Alzheimer's, and uh, he began to wrestle with that. He began to wrestle with this passage, husbands, love your wives and sacrifice for your wives, and give yourself over to your wives as Christ is the head of the church, and sacrificially lived. And he began to think about this process, and Finally, he decided that he would step down from his responsibilities at Columbia Bible College and, his wife, and he would be with his wife and he would live out those days with his wife. Let me tell you something, men, that's sacrificial love. He tells the story in the book that he went to an airport and he was in the airport and they got delayed coming home from Atlanta and they still traveled some and the wife was saying, when are we going to be home, honey? When are we going to be home, honey? When are we going to be home, honey? And there was this conversation back and forth and there was an executive, a lady who had her laptop open and she was watching the husband love the wife sacrificially and he was pushing her to go get some ice cream and then he, she'd come back and say, I want a Coke or I want a hamburger and back and forth. She watched this back and forth, back and forth and then he sat down and she sat down right in front of this executive who had her laptop open. And the lady mumbled something and he said, excuse me, ma'am. And she said, I only wish I could find a man that would love me like that. That's sacrificial love, ladies and gentlemen. That's sacrificial love. That's putting your desires and your plans and your dreams on hold to say, God, whatever you want to do in my life. Do you know that marriages are falling apart because we have a warped view of what love is? This is God's kind of love. This is the agape kind of love that God puts in our heart that lets us live before our wives in a sacrificial way. It's a beautiful thing, and only God can create the energy and the synergy for that to happen. Now, let's go a little further in the text. I think you've got verse 25 down. Verse 26. And by the way, I'm preaching to myself as well. I, I'd give my wife 10 minutes up here. if she, I'd give her five. I'd give her three. I'd give her whatever she wanted. Um, because listen, my flesh is just like your flesh. It's ugly. And it's sinful. And apart from Jesus Christ, I am nothing to my wife. I can't love her 
And, and listen, I buy milk and bread at the same store you do. So don't put us pastors on a pedestal. I'm not preaching at you. I'm preaching with you and to you. And when I point like this, I've got three coming back to myself. So I understand that this message is for me as well. So I receive it in humility and grace. Here's what Paul said in verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. So we live sacrificially before our wives, and as we live sacrificially before our wives, it sanctifies our wife. It sets her apart as special. You see, when Jesus is loving through me, and loving to me and through me, and that love comes and hits my wife as a recipient of that love, then what that love does that comes from God through me, to me, through her, uh, is sacrificial love, and it sanctifies her. It lets her know that she's valuable. It sets her apart, and she feels special, and she feels valuable. And understand in this culture, women didn't feel valuable. They didn't feel like they were anything but property. But Jesus comes into the context of Ephesians and sets women free and sets men free and lets them know that you're to love with a sanctifying love. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. The word sanctify means to set apart. When you go to Thanksgiving dinner, you used to, back in the day, this is the older crowd in the 930, right? <laughs> back in the day, we had a formal living room. And in the formal living room, <clears throat> we had a couch. You weren't to sit in that couch in the normal everyday life. That was a formal living room for formal special occasions. In fact, that couch had plastic on it because we didn't want to mess that couch up. And we had a formal living room, and then we, ha on top of that, we had a formal dining room that had some chinaware that we're not supposed to touch and bring out for any other occasion except a special occasion. So those two rooms were set apart for a special occasion. Here's what God's saying to the husband. Your wife is a special occasion every moment of every day of every second of your life. And when you love her sacrificially, that sets her apart as special. And she knows she's special. Have you ever met a woman who knows she's special? She's been nourished and cherished by her husband. And her husband values her. That is the biblical model. It's servanthood. It's serving our wives and loving our wives. Christ as the head of the church doesn't dominate over us. He, 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 he loves us and the way that Jesus loved us is he came underneath us and he began to serve us and that servanthood that he demonstrated by coming to the cross drew us into a relationship with him and now we are sanctified and we're set apart for a work that only God can do through us. So sanctify means we set our wives apart as special, as valuable, as loved. Oh, women... Think about when your husband loves you with that kind of love, which is not from his flesh, but it's from God the Father, from the Son, through the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Notice what the text says. So he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water of the word. So what happened, men, is Jesus gave us a bath spiritually. Spiritually, Jesus saved us from our sin. Spiritually, Jesus rescued us from hell and from the grave. And he gave us new life in him. He died to make us holy. So he gave us a bath spiritually. And we are to, in turn, wash our wives with the water of the word. We're to spend time in God's word so that when I'm loving my wife, I'm actually loving her the way God wants me to love her. 
You can't love with a bunch of books that tell you five steps how to love. Number one, do this. Number two, do this. Let me tell you what. Do this and God's way always works. That's what God says. Begin to spend time. Men, listen. Spend five minutes. Spend four. Spend four minutes in God's word. Just four. Some of you men spend no time in God's word, and therefore you can't love your wife with the love of Christ. Because you can't love apart from the written word of God and the power of the living word of God, which is Jesus Christ. So we love her. Our wives, have, we, we, we give them a spiritual bath. We've been bathed in, rescued from our sin, and so we cleanse her, the text says, 26, with the washing of the water by the word. Now look at the text. Verse 27. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So what this means is that we love our wives with one flesh. That we present her to himself a glorious church. That's what God does to us. So the spots and the wrinkles, and he's talking about spiritually, those areas in our lives in the lives of our wives that are deficiencies. You and I have been brought into her life to be able to address those deficiencies by caring for her in a tender way, by passionately loving her. And when we care for her and we tend for her and we passionately love her, God begins to deal with the wrinkles and the spots in her life. And that's the way God has set it up so that we can be the protector and we can be the provider of the home and we can see God do what only God can do. But men have to step up and be gospel men. A gospel man is a man who's a grown man and the grown man is a man who knows what God's word says God loves us men so much that he sacrificed and he gave so that we could turn around and demonstrate his sacrificial love to the world by loving the one who stands next to us, sits next to us, sleeps next to us. No, no, I'm going to give to missions. I want to give $100,000 to missions. How about giving all you have to the one who's next to you? It's Christ in you. It's Christ in you. You can't love apart from the power of Christ. I can't manufacture this kind of love. I have to yield to Jesus. Now this is a side note. If you're dating by chance... If you're not dating a man that loves Jesus more than he loves you, send him a text and say it's over. I'm serious. Here's what a lot of women do. They take men on as projects. They do. I, I, I'm going to date this guy. I know I shouldn't because the Bible prohibits me from dating this guy. But I really love him. No, you really love yourself. You don't love him. You love yourself. Uh, yeah, okay. If a man doesn't love Jesus now, he's not going to love Jesus after he gets married. That's important to know. So you don't take on someone as a project or a ministry. You set the standard and say, this is what God says in His Word, and I'm willing to wait as long as I need to wait for God's man or God's woman to come into my life. If you are single and you are in this room and your focus and sole aspiration is to get married, I want you to listen to me. You don't need to get married to be beneficial. You don't need to get married to be valuable. You need to fall in love with Jesus Christ and He'll meet every need of your life. That's the truth. So don't go on this missionary dating stuff. I know many a woman 
who has dated a fool, and that fool, I said it, that fool came to church because that's where that woman knew that boyfriend needed to come. He needed to be seen, and as soon as they got married, they never darkened the door of a church again. He planned that, let me tell you. You should meet someone that's equally in love with Jesus, and if they love you more than Jesus, you better be very careful. Notice what the text says. Verse 28, so husbands ought, purpose clause, ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. So verse 28 and 29. So let me think, let's, let's think about this. So you're one flesh, you're, you're one spirit with your mate. The two of you be, have become one. And so it's no longer what you want, it's what God wants to do in and through your lives. So you're one flesh. Listen to me. You're not one flesh with your career. Some of you men are married to your career. And your wife is going, I wish he would come home. I wish he would come home. And all you can think about is, I wish I could go to work more. I wish I could spend more time at work. Listen, you need to spend more time with your wife. You need to spend more time with your family. She's wanting something from you that only God can provide through your life. And she can't receive what God has for her unless you're there. Don't let your job become your marriage. Don't be married to a career. Because the Bible says you're one flesh. You're not one flesh with your kids, but the Bible says you're one flesh. You're one in heart, one in mind, one in spirit with your mate. Let me explain how this works. If you're one flesh, verses 28 and 29, then any investment in her reaps benefits for you. It reaps returns for you. You reap what you sow. So if you invest in her then you will receive the blessings of being invested in a relationship with her. When I went to seminary, I didn't start seminary till I was married. In fact, I had far left Sagemont as a student pastor. I've been gone. I decided to go back to seminary in my 30s. My wife sacrificed time, effort. My son sacrificed time. But I never let seminary become a God to me. I would always say, before I go for this one-week module, or before I go any further in this, I want to make sure that I'm still loving my family and loving my wife and loving my son. And so we had quick checks on that. Let me tell you a true story about a friend of mine whose life got out of focus. He didn't love his wife with one flesh. He loved fishing more than he loved his wife. This is true. And he loved his wife, but he loved fishing more than he loved his wife, and she knew it. And so because they were one flesh, this began to be a thorn in their marriage. And their marriage began to struggle. And he would always go out bass fishing. In fact, he would take people bass fishing because he would say he was witnessing to the people. He would blame it on God. He needed to be home. So one day he went bass fishing, and the Lord just convicted him. And he said, this is a God to me. He came home and the Lord said, I want you to give all of your bass fishing equipment away. And he told him a specific guy to give it to. And he gave that bass fishing equipment away. And then he went home to his wife and said, Honey, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? I sacrificed my feelings for your forgiveness. Would you forgive me? And the moment that he said, Would you forgive me? She said, Yes, I forgive you. She says, I've been wanting to talk to you for the last four and a half years, but I haven't been able to. So while you're here and while you've said this and while we're getting things right, I want you to know I've been bitter at you for the last four and a half years for this. Would you forgive me? 
It all happened when one man was willing to release what God told him to release. He didn't love bass fishing as much as he loved Jesus. He let go of his bass fishing stuff. He told me the story. He said years ago when he got everything right and God began to work in his life, an opportunity came back to him to be a bass fisherman and to do it in a way that was honorable to the Lord. And he said, a man called me over to his garage. This is out in Alabama. And he had a boat in the garage and he had like a tackle shop in the garage. And he said, I want to give you all this tackle in this room. And I also want to give you that bass boat. Now listen to me. He had another opportunity to get it in the right order. My point of the story is not the new bass boat and all the new tackle. The point in the story is when a man came to realize that he was one flesh with his wife, as Paul said, and he was living for bass fishing instead of living sacrificially before his wife, when he pulled the trigger in obedience and asked her to forgive him, she responded like God made her, and she responded in grace, and their marriage was never the same after that. It came through one man's obedience and letting go of what was a God to him. What's a God to you, sir? What's a God to you? What is it that you do? What is it that you sacrifice on the altar for your children and for your wife? What is it that drives you when you get a free moment? You know, I love Jesus, but don't tell me I can't watch football tonight or basketball. Listen, the best thing some of you guys could do in this room, whatever your little G-O-D is, is let go, get down on your knees, and say, God, forgive me for making that a God in my life. I want to nourish. I want to cherish my wife. I want to love her with an everlasting, eternal love because I want her to respond to me like you've responded to me, Jesus. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, men, you love your own bodies, but he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, verse 29, but nourishes and cherishes. The word nourish and cherish, the word nourish means to feed. It means to mature. It means to bring into fruition a relationship. That's what it means. And the word cherish means to uh, warm, have tender-hearted care. Uh, women are not to crush their wives. They're to care for their wives. They're not to rule over their wives. They're to be responsible with loving, tender care. Like a mother bird hovering over those warm eggs, she exercises tender care. And that's what we do, men, is we exercise nourishment. We nourish our wives and we cherish our wives just as the Lord does the church. Because the Lord Jesus nourished me. He cherished me. He loved me. Even when I wasn't lovable, He still loved me. And He made me warm. He gave me a heartwarming story in my life that my sins had been forgiven. So He nourished me and He cherished me. And He didn't hang his, the past over me. And He tells me that I have a future. And He has a plan for my life. So as I've been nourished and cherished by Christ Himself, I release that nourishing and cherishing. And I love my wife with that kind of love. Now, a woman who's nourished and cherished knows it. The answer to this message is get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Only God can do this. Only God can pull this off through your life and through my life. And so what happens with a woman who is being loved and being nourished and being cherished, she, sure, her story's going somewhere. She's not married to a man that has, is a dead-end man and a dead-end road. In fact, the husband is the one that's nourishing and cherishing. And the wife has a story. And this story is going somewhere. And the husband, usually in a marriage, is the one who dies first, is what statistics say. So I want you to use your sanctified imagination. 
Can you imagine being married to a man who nourished and cherished his wife? And that widow is on the rocking porch of her home saying, it's been worth it. It's been worth married to a man that sacrificially loved me. We made mistakes. We suffered. But I wasn't married to a man that was a dead-end road or a dead-end man. I was married to a man who looked to my interest and not his own interest. And my story was a story that he wanted me to succeed in because my story was God's story. And he was loving me and he was assuring me. He wasn't pointing out all my faults. He was just loving me till the end. Could you imagine a woman finishing up her life with those kind of thoughts that's beautiful only Jesus can do that nourishes and cherishes look at the text for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones we are members of his his body what this means is we're connected to Jesus we're in union with him there's not an aloofness here there's a one spirit union with Christ He could not attend to you more sincerely. He could not be involved more willingly in your life. He is glad to love you. And he's going to love you to the end. We are members of his body. You know what Paul says? Love your wife because you're members of the same body. Love your wife that way. Man, love your wife with a nourishing and cherishing love so that she's overwhelmed by the grace of God. That's what Paul is saying here. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like a moving sidewalk. When you go to the airport, I may have used this illustration before. You know, there are people who are walking or running, but they're not on the moving sidewalk. So they're running as fast as they can with the bags that they have, and they're yelling with everybody else, come on, come on. Here's the point. Just get on the track. Get on that moving sidewalk in the airport because you'll go much faster and much further if you'll allow something else to carry you. And what Paul is saying, when the Holy Spirit of God empowers you and lives in you, it's like your wife is living with a moving sidewalk because the energy and the grace and the fountain of love that comes out of your life is moving her forward in her life. And her story is the story of God's grace just like your story is the story of God's grace. Look at the text. We're members of his body. We're connected. Paul is talking about marriage here. We're connected together with the eternal Son of God, an infinite fountain of grace and mercy. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it lovingly. I'm going to say it kindly. If you've been married to a man all your life and you don't feel nourished and cherished, it's not your fault, it's his it's his. You say, oh, but my wife, she's, she's the problem. No, she's not the problem. I'm the problem. You're the problem, man. We set the pace. We love. We lead. We're the lifters in the marriage. We're not the ones pointing out blame and fault, just like Jesus didn't point blame and fault on us. He died and sacrificed. It cost him everything for me and you to be saved, and it will cost us everything sacrificially to love our wives with the love of Christ. But I'm telling you, one day when we stand before God, He's going to say, the ministry that I gave you, who you slept with, who you sat next to, you loved her with that kind of love. You and I, men, will give an account before Almighty God for how we love the prized possession that He gave us as a gift. So the only way we can do this is get on our knees and say, God, I can't love that way, but would you love through me? Would you do it through me? Oh God, would you heal marriages today? Would you bring broken homes and broken lives together? And would people recognize your power in their lives? 
coming to the end. Here's what Paul says. Verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. Let's stop right there. A man has to leave home. That's the first thing. If you're going to be a grown man, if you're going to be a gospel man, you've got to leave home. It says the man leaves. It doesn't say the woman leaves. It says the man has to leave. Some of you, and I'm an only child, so this affects me, some of us have never left home. We're still tied to home. Oh, yeah, we've left the physical home, but we haven't left the home emotionally. We haven't left the home, and we have to leave home because now we're the leader and the lifter according to God. We're the head of the relationship, and so we have to leave home. You have to leave, men. You have to grow up and become a man of God and say, God, whatever you want to do through me, it starts by the man leaving. Number two, here's what he says. And become... Uh, be joined to his wife, that's cleave. That means the two of us are super glued together. You leave first, then you cleave. Then you cleave. And then the last thing it says here in the text, as the two of you will become one flesh. So you have, in my case, Freeman and Leslie, and the third person is the Holy Spirit, and a cord of three strands is not easily tangled. So the idea is that it's in a marriage, it's me filled with the Holy Spirit, my wife filled with the Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit producing in us a relationship where we're joined together and we're one. That's what Paul says. So you have to leave, you have to cleave, and you have to allow the Holy Spirit to weave in your life. It's Christ in you and it's Christ in me. Let me see if I can explain it this way. If we're joined together, if we've left home, if we're cleaving to our wife, that means joined together, and if we're weaved together by the Holy Spirit, it's Christ in me and Christ in you. One time when we lived in Florida, we had fires out in the field. It's not all you could do out there in rural Florida. And so we would sit out with our friends and our family at times, and we had this little poker, and I would put the poker in the fire, and it would get real hot. So I would take that poker, and I would just lay it to the side in a field full of grass. And when I put the poker in the fire, the fire got in the poker. So when I put the poker in the fire and the fire got in the poker and I put the poker over here, all of a sudden we got an issue over here. Because the poker's in the fire and the fire's in the poker. And if you think about that, that's the way it is in our relationship with Jesus Christ. When we are cleaving together with one another and we are being weaved by the Holy Spirit, the poker is in the fire and the fire is in the poker. It's Christ in me and it's Christ in her and it's Christ in both of us, and so we've got a reciprocal dwelling, and Jesus didn't save me to just set me aside. He saved me in order that he would set me aside so that I would serve and realize that this reciprocal dwelling was every day of my life. That's what he's saying. That's what Paul's saying here. Now notice what he says to close, and I'll be finished with this. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. See, all this is a picture of Christ in the church. The way husbands love their wives is the way Christ has loved the church and the way he's loved me. It says this, Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Back in the day, way back in the day, they would pay a dowry. Uh, a man who was wanting to marry someone would pay a dowry to the man who had the daughters in the home. 
And the story is told about two daughters. One was a really uh, beautiful daughter, and she was uh, just stunning and beautiful on the outside and beautiful on the inside. And so um, this man says, I'm going to pay a dowry of 10 cows. I'm going to pay a dowry of 10 cows for your daughter. So the way it would work is the man would bring his daughters out in front, and you would think that the man would have taken the one who was beautiful and stunning on the inside and out, had this great personality. But what happened, there was a sister, and she uh, wasn't as beautiful on the outside, and we're so caught up in this world to look at beauty as the outside. Let me tell you something. A woman who's been loved by her husband is beautiful everywhere. Beautiful on the outside, beautiful on the inside. But this other daughter wasn't, uh, she was kind of a plain Jane, if you will. She, she just wasn't as striking. So the man came and he paid the dowry of 10 cows to the father. And he took this lady away. And everybody was stunned. The be- beautiful, stunning lady, the daughter was stunned and the, the father was stunned. But he took her away for a year. And then somehow the father met up with the daughter and the man later. And the, he looked at his daughter and he said, I, I cannot believe the transformation that has taken place in your life. It's just unbelievable. What has happened? She said, when I began to be valued and I began to be loved by this man and he paid 10 cows for me, I began to be a 10-cow woman. (laughs) And we're not talking about just the outside. We're talking about the inside and everything. And basically the whole point was when this man valued her and the potential was always in her to be what God had made her to be but someone had to draw that potential out in order that she could be loved with the love of Christ and when she was loved it's built into women to respond to that kind of love and that's exactly what happened and the text says and let the wife see that she respects her husband I've told my wife this we, we say it in gist, but it's not funny. Do you know the number one cause of divorce is finances? That's it. Do you know what the number two cause is? The loss of a child. We could be a statistic, and I know that. We talked about this yesterday. But through the power of Jesus Christ, we are overcomers. Because we haven't lost a child. I know exactly where my child is. Do you know where you're going when you die? You may not make it out of this room. Do you know where you're going? Only if you have faith in Jesus Christ will you ever see God the Father or God the Son. You have to bow, receive Jesus as your Savior. Love Him with your heart. By grace He has saved you through faith. You have to put your faith in someone who is stable. And so when it says here that the wife respects her husband, when a wife has been loved with the kind of love that Paul has been talking about in Ephesians 5, respect is automatic because she feels valued. She feels cared for. I thought to myself, if my wife leaves me or I leave her, I thought, where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Listen, if she leaves me, I'm going to tell you this. My bags are already packed. I'm going after her. I'm the provider and the protector of my home. If she decides to go, I'm going with her. Because listen, our marriage is a picture of Jesus to the world. 
And the world needs a Savior. And the only way that you can have a marriage that sizzles is to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And women, you submit out of love relationship to Jesus Christ. And men, we sacrifice, we serve, we sweat, we love, we lift, we care, we tenderize our marriage because Christ in us is tender and Christ in us is caring. And the love that Christ has shown to us, we say, Lord, release that through me to my wife.